Hey all, Stakui here, and before things begin, I wanted to give a little heads up about, well, you're probably a little bit confused, like, why has there been an episode that has been released in the middle of the week? Well, what that is, is a bonus episode, something that I do want to do more now, when I do like an interview or a short little deep dive into a specific topic, something like that that isn't necessarily enough for a full episode, then I'm going to go ahead and release a little bit of a bonus episode on that. But all that being said, there are two things that I want to talk about. The first is that there is now a History of Everything podcast YouTube channel. The link is going to be down in the description. I highly recommend that you go and subscribe to it because that way you can actually get some visuals for short little deep dives on a specific topic and you can see what it is that I'm talking about. I'm actually really proud of this and I'm hoping that the channel grows more and more with time. And also... This month's audiobook book club pick is Defenders of the Faith, which the episode on that is going to be releasing this Friday. Now, I highly recommend that you get this book as it is. Oh, man, it is a fun one. I am not going to lie. This thing is only on sale right now for four dollars when usually it's twenty three and it reads out like an epic piece of historical literature. It is truly, truly insane. Get the book before the podcast releases so you know what it is that I'm talking about because I guarantee you are going to be sucked into this. Click the link down in the description. It is chirpbooks.com slash history. And anyway, I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone. Stakuya here. And I am actually joined today by a very interesting person. Usually when we have done stories for family history, we are talking about what an individual knows of their family that has been stories passed down from generation to generation of people who they're related to. In this case, we actually have something that is a more direct relationship, I guess you could say. The episode, as you've probably heard by now, that went up this past Friday is the story of Roy Benavidez, who is quite easily the most badass soldier, at least in my personal opinion. If you're looking at an individual story, it is the real life Rambo have come to life, like in just the events of what transpired, how it went down and the story of him as a person. I'm actually joined today by his grandson who decided to reach out to the show and figured to start a conversation. So, sir, I have to say thank you in the first place for reaching out. And do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Absolutely. Uh, thank you for having me on, Stephen. My name is Matthew Benavides. I am the third oldest grandson of uh, Master Sergeant Roy P. Benavides, and I'm the oldest grandson to carry on the last name. How how many children did he actually have? Like How, how many relatives do you have? Because if I recall correctly, he had a fairly decent sized family in the first place. Yeah. So, uh, so that's interesting. Um, my grandfather had two direct siblings. Um, and then after his parents passed away, he was adopted by his uncle and moved to the town of El Campo, Texas, where his uncle adopted him. And then subsequently his cousins became his brothers and sisters, essentially. And I think that there were eight of them. So that brought the grand total eight. of, you know, children to him, roughly. Uh, and then my grandfather had three children, uh, my Antonis, my Annibet, and my father, Noel Benavides. Okay, that's actually really interesting. And how many of them were involved in the military? Because I, uh, I remember regarding seeing that uh, there were some siblings that were, but not the exact amount, just that the military legacy has been carried on. How many members of your family have been in the military? To my knowledge, my grandfather uh, and... Honestly, I'm not entirely too sure about any of the, the, the siblings. It's been so long since I visited with them, since I don't live directly in El Campo anymore. I do know that my uh, 
My Uncle Gene is one of the last living relatives. Um, Roger Benavides, he was the uh, official brother of my grandpa Roy, and he passed away a couple of years ago. Um, but the members that, that were in the military, I'm not entirely too sure. Now, direct children of my grandfather, none of them served in the military, and the direct grandchildren of my grandfather, none of us have served in the military as well. Although it was a path that I did look at for uh, a while, it was ultimately something that I, I didn't pursue. That's actually really interesting because one of the things with Roy, what he's regarded as doing is having pushed many people to join military. Well, not necessarily everyone, but specifically pushing people who otherwise would not necessarily have a purpose to join the military in order to give them a kind of structure and education. And that that was a goal that he had specifically for people to better themselves. Did he ever from your did you ever actually interact with him that he wanted say your father or your other relatives to do so? Like, did he push for it within his own family or is that something that he looked at what he already had as something that was stable and good and not necessarily in need of improvement? Well, my grandfather never necessarily pushed the military onto his children. What he did push heavily was education. My grandfather uh, dropped out of school uh, during his seventh grade year to go and work full time to provide for his family, for his uh, aunt and uncle and everyone. He worked in the fields, worked in the cotton fields, uh, and then he joined the military. And after he had joined the military, after he was discharged, he went back to a Wharton County Junior College in his 50s to receive his associate's degree. So, I mean, he he heavily pushed education on everyone. Uh, and he definitely did thank everyone for their military service and, and pushed for the military service, but he never necessarily pushed that heavily onto the onto the children themselves. That's good. My own grandfather was a bomber back in Vietnam. Uh, specifically, he always pushed me that I should be joining the Air Force, that I should. That's what I needed to do. Now, unfortunately, there's a little bit of a difference between what the Air Force was like back in the 60s versus what the Air Force is like now. <laughs> back that's then, true. it's like you, when you when you went to college, you became an engineer. Like if the Air Force was going to take you, you, they were essentially going to turn you into an engineer and then you were going to work. Like either as a like you were going to walk in as a pilot, you were going to work with the planes, you were going to be doing something where it was much more heavily involved. But the Air Force has drastically shrunk since then. And yeah. while the material has drastically increased in quality and subsequently expense by of many, 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 many factors, the actual number of personnel has dropped to the point that I remember looking at the Air Force and going, huh, you know, uh, they're uh, they, they, they're not going to they're not going to want my college degree. Nope. They're the, unless I'm specifically going in with like some kind of aeronautics degree or some kind of specific engineering path. They're not going to give two shits about me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's very true. Um, I mean, it's it's a little ironic uh, whenever you look at the name Benavides. Uh, that name carries a lot of weight, especially here in Texas. Um, it's where I'm located at right now. I, I live in Austin, Texas, um, and El Campo is two hours to the west of Austin. But anywhere that I go, everywhere that I go, if I meet any individual, it's, oh, Benavides, I know that name. Or, oh, uh, why does that name sound so familiar? I know it from somewhere, especially whenever it comes to military and, and political figures, that name uh, strikes a chord with, with a lot of uh, people. But uh, specifically, whenever it came to joining the military myself, after I graduated from high school, I looked at joining the Army, and my dad was a little standoffish about it, and I never understood why. 
I wanted to join the military. I wanted to follow my grandfather's footsteps. I wanted to be in the army. I wanted to be Green Beret. And that was just something that, that I was striving for. I, I wanted to, to go to West Point Military Academy. And my father was like, well, you know, there are other options. You could look a different way, a different path. And he wasn't saying no, but it, it came to an abrupt halt whenever it finally hit me why he was so standoffish about it. And it's because uh, we had an army recruit come to the house one day and he walked in and it was about me signing up to join the military. And all that he was talking about was my grandfather. Well, you said a recruit or a recruiter? Recruiter. Ah, yeah. Uh, and it was, wow, I'm in the home of Roy P. Benavides. Oh, my God. Do you know what your grandfather means to me? This, that and the other. And he was going on and on and on. And then uh, at, at one point in time, he looked at me and he goes, you know, if you join, they're going to treat you like shit. And I was like, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, your grandfather being such a, a powerhouse and the figure that he is, they're going to expect so much from you. And yes. me, I, I was like, oh, man. Well, I, I want to live up to this and I want to prove that I'm my own person, this, that and the other. But then it just it just showed a light. And it was like, I don't know if they're ever going to see me as me. I don't know if they're going to view me as an individual. I feel like they might view me as my grandfather. Considering and, that in the military, you're typically referred to by your last name, just mm -hmm. in general, when you're called upon, they would likely have been just calling you Benavidez the entire time, in which case, yes, it would have been less personal for your first name. You would have been referred to by your family name. That's what you likely would have been associated as. So I get that. That, that does make a lot of sense, actually. Yeah. So uh, my my father actually had to ask the recruiter to leave, um, leave the home. And I never looked back at it. I took the ASVAB test and in taking the ASVAB, I was contacted by every branch of the military for two, three years after yep. I graduated from school to try and join. And I was like, you know what? No, I, I want to take a different path. I want to, I want to pursue something else. And so I ultimately never joined the military. And then I was diagnosed with a lung condition, which now, even if I wanted to join the military, that's going to prevent me from doing so. That makes a lot of sense. And so, I mean, I have to ask, because you were talking about how people would treat you even differently where you are, not just in terms of the military, but political figures. Have you been addressed by people? Because obviously if we're talking Texas. We're talking the South. There's far more of a I'm, I'm going to say military oriented mindset of people that's specifically for like God, country, et cetera. And so what that can typically mean is more. I don't use the term necessarily renowned, but or respect, but there's more. Well, what's the what's the proper word? More regard, more Maybe. regard. That's that's a significantly. Yeah, that's the better way to phrase it. There's more regard for them. And so I, I have to wonder, has this affected you and your family when it comes to school? Uh, have you been approached by political figures? Ha have there been any interactions like that? Oh, absolutely. Um, that that just comes with the namesake. I was I myself and my cousins and my family, we were all raised with your grandfather is this individual and we have to respect and honor what he did, but also respect and honor everyone else that has served the military. You, you can't forget about everyone else. And that's, that's something that I was raised with. And that's what it was instilled with me. So um, I worked for the uh, HEB grocery food chain company for a while. Uh, and I was a cashier and then eventually a manager and I worked in store operations. And anytime that I would see a military figure, I would always thank them for their service. And I never brought up who my grandfather was or anything like that. I would just say, Hey, 
thank you for your service. And they would say, oh, you know what? Thank you. Or this side or the other. And they would make on their way. But if we stopped and talked and I would ask them about their military service and I would poke and prod and some of them would be like, oh, you know a lot about the military, don't you? And I would, oh, yeah, well, my grandfather served in the military. And they're like, oh, well, where at? When? What, what are you doing? So I, I wouldn't say what it was until they drug it out of me. And I was like, oh, well, he's a Medal of Honor recipient. And then they were, oh, my God, Roy Benavides is your grandfather. I, I met that individual. Oh, I, I have his book. I have a picture with him, this, that or the other. That's actually your grandfather. That's crazy. That's insane. And it's it's insane knowing that these people know about my grandfather. He's he's regarded as a just celebrity in the military and in political circles. I once had the honor of meeting with one of the chief of staffs for uh, for for the governor. And actually, I, I met with Governor Perry at one point in time. They, I remember he just looked at me and said, your grandfather's a badass. Um, I <laughs> well, like, oh. I mean, I think that's a little bit of an understatement considering the <laughs> considering the stories. But yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that's if you want to be blunt about it, then yes. Yeah. Um, most recently, I attended a ceremony for the National Medal of Honor uh, Museum groundbreaking ceremony. Uh, it's being built in Arlington, Texas. And there they had, uh, I believe there were 14 Medal of Honor recipients and they invited myself to the event. So I attended the event and there there were all these big military figures, uh, the general of the United States Army, the general of the, the Navy, the general of the Air Force. President Bush was there. Chris Cassidy, the CEO and president of the Medal of Honor Museum, was there. Getting to meet all these people and then knowing the name and then saying, it's such an honor to meet you. I know it's an honor to meet you on my behalf. Like, I'm, I'm ecstatic. I met with Stephanie McMahon, the now CEO of WWE. I met with uh, Mark Calloway, who was the undertaker for WWE. I met with uh, one of the presidents for the HEB company. And I was like, huh. I worked for your company for a little bit of time. Now we're meeting here. <laughs> and I met with uh, the the owner of the Dallas Cowboys and his wife. There there are a lot of people that I've I've met in my time, and it's it's just incredible to be able to do so. Is it kind of surreal that it's it's like not something that you necessarily expect to do just from the life from how you lived? It, it, it's like something that is beyond your control, something that's outside of it. Absolutely. Every single time that I'm that I attend one of these events, it is it is always surreal. My family was invited to the Ronald Reagan's 100th birthday bash in California back whenever I was in seventh grade. And we attended that and we met with the governor of California at that time, met with a band called Lone Star. I met John Stamos. We were able to meet the the, the Beach Boys and Miss Nancy Reagan and it was just such an honor to do so. I hope that this doesn't come off as, as bragging. I, I it's not bragging in here. It's like you've had experiences. You're not necessarily saying like, oh, my God, this person is amazing. It's the best thing ever. Like, whoa, it's I'm in a you're expressing a feeling of being in a position to be like, hey, we got to do this, to do this, to do that. You've given off the impression that what it is is more surreal than anything else, because for some of them, it's standard, especially when it comes to the political parties. It, it would be standard to meet with these people because you have to show support and respect for the people that quite literally are the foundation of your backing like that. That is that is something that if you want to think about it in the most cynical terms, that's the reality for you. 
you're going into the situation where you've been invited. It's not like you're trying to walk into a building and demand respect or rights based off lineage. It's people are naturally reaching out to you because there is that kind of draw. There is that kind of wonder that is associated with it, with the bloodline. And that's how we got here to this podcast. (laughs) Yeah, that's literally how we got here to the podcast. Now, one of the reasons is that I would want to talk to you is not necessarily just because like, oh, my God, yes, I'm talking to the grandson of Roy Benavides. But it's like, oh, shit, cool. You probably know a lot more details here than I do on specific things that have happened because I have the official records, but I don't necessarily have the nitty and gritty. I don't have I don't have maybe the personal stories that were only passed down through the family. Not that I want to force anything out of anyone, but maybe there's something that I've perhaps missed or gotten wrong or just haven't thought about that I can then learn because that's what it is that I like to do. The reason why I started doing what it is that I do, whether it is TikTok, whether it is YouTube, whether it's the podcast, whether it's anything is because I've always loved stories. Hey everyone, Sakuya here, and before we get back to the show, I would just like to thank today's sponsor, eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential, and then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure that your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, exhaust kits, turbochargers, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. I love sharing stories. I love learning about things. I love seeing how the world kind of connects. And what you described with people, with these politicians, with these military figures, with all these different things, all of them have some kind of commonality. They may be completely different people with completely different lives, completely unrelated to one another, but all associated with your grandfather. All of them are drawn together by a singular connection. And these kinds of connections throughout history are things that I always found to be so fascinating, how stuff would be occurring at the same time. I'll give you this as an example, and this is something completely unrelated to any of it, but it's a detail that is going to go into my next podcast. The next one that I'm planning on doing that's going to be going up on Patreon is based Mm -hmm. off of weird medical history, specifically blood transfusions. And the first guy ever to perform a blood transfusion between two humans or rather a like a human to or not between two humans, but like from an animal to human transfusion, which that's a whole other thing. There's there's like a really weird history that goes with that. I'm going to not spoil it here because people are probably getting really confused when they hear that. But <laughs> he ended up inadvertently accidentally killing like a statesman from Sweden where it's just this French guy. Right. It's just this French doctor and this French doctor manages to kill a statesman who is one of the most important financial figures that is managing the kingdom of Sweden's finances. And he kills him through a transfusion. And it's just like the interaction of that happening from these states that are thousands of kilometers apart there. Right. And then that happens 
And it's like, wow, there's now this huge political, there's this gap, but they would have had otherwise no reason to interact with the exception that he was the first person that was performing these transfusions. And so he was a renowned doctor that people from all over would have been coming to much in the same way as it's like you have a soldier and then you have a soldier who has done something so phenomenal that every military figure or political figure will need to hearken back to their time, to their accomplishments. I know it's a bit of a rant, but that's that that's how I associate it. So it's nothing on you. No, Never feel like you're it doesn't you haven't given the impression at all of a trying of trying to take any glory, I guess. Stolen valor. That's the term. You're just talking about your experiences with your family and what it is that you've had to go through by virtue of the, this proxy relation. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, Definitely. Dolan Valor is a bad thing, <laughs> but yeah, it just, just the events that transpired and everything that I've, I've been able to do. And I'm so grateful to be able to do it for my grandfather's uh, accomplishments and, and bravery and everything that he's done with his life. It's, it's just phenomenal. I have to ask then, are there any stories or any things that it's like something that perhaps would not have been official, something that perhaps you specifically know of some kind of interaction, something that you want to or be willing to share? Well, first of all, my grandfather passed away in the fall of 1998, and I was actually only eight months old whenever he passed away. So I never actually had an interaction with him. But I think that the, the first story that I can remember that I like to tell is while I was at the funeral service in my mother's arms, President Bush walked up and asked to hold me and my mom gave me to President Bush. And there's a nice little picture in, in a family photo album of President Bush holding me as a little baby. But I, I also remember, for whatever reason, I was maybe three or four years old. And my mom tells me the story all the time. She says, you know, whenever you were little, you walked up and you asked us one day, my mom, my dad and my grandma were sitting there and you just randomly said, why did they put grandpa in a box? I was an eight month old baby. I can't remember that. I don't even remember asking that question, but apparently I, I just walked up and I said, why, why did they put grandpa in a box? Recollecting back to that event, back to his funeral, not knowing anything else. I, I can't remember a 21 gun salute. I can't tell you who all was there. I can't tell you anything like that. But that was a question that I asked my mother at the time was, why did they put him in a box? Wow. So they, yeah, that's, that's, Probably like the, the first story or interaction that I have regarding my grandfather. Do you remember what her answer or response was? They were floored. My mom was like, well, what do you mean? How do you remember that? She tells me now. And I mean, I, I talked to her a couple of days leading up to this, uh, to this podcast and the interview. And she was like, yeah, we, we just didn't know what to say or do. Like nobody remembers anything from that young. And I was like, that. I, I don't know what to tell you. I can't even remember asking that question, but yeah. Hmm. I mean, that's but, like this, the earliest memory that I have that I distinctly recall is my mother taking me out of my buckled car seat to take me into a grocery store. I can't even remember the name of the grocery store. I just remember like the sign being kind of blurry because it was really bright in the sun and just being dragged out. But it's like these this vivid, specific moment that I can't remember any other detail, but I specifically remember being annoyed because that damn sun was in my eyes and it was bothering me. Well, um, and I mean, that's, that's just what it is. But, uh, uh another story, uh, famous story that, that I always love to tell. It was whenever my mother and father were dating at the time. And my mom just so happened to be at my grandfather's house. My, my grandfather was awarded the medal of honor by president Reagan 
Um, but my, my mom just so happened to be at my grandma's house and the house phone was ringing because this was back in the nineties and they still had house phones. Of course. Phone. And, uh, the person on the other side of the loan phone said that they were Lady Bird Johnson, Linda B. Johnson's wife. And my mom grabbed the phone and she was like, what, what are you talking about? And she looked at my dad and she goes, I think we're getting a prank call. There's, uh, someone trying to be Lady Bird Johnson on the phone. And my dad goes, oh yeah, that's for my dad. Let me, let me go and grab him. And my grandpa comes running in. He's like, hand me the phone, hand me the phone. And he took the phone and he goes, hello, Miss Johnson, how are you? And my mom's like, oh my God, that was actually Lady Bird Johnson. <laughs> I, I hope that she didn't hear what I said. That, that, that's, that's funny because for many people, it's like, it's not like there's necessarily, there is a dynasty, right? But it's not like, something that people immediately know coming into or something that someone else is expected to be doing something the exact same. Like when you see a financial dynasty slash celebrity dynasty, like in the case of um, like in the case of the Kardashians, and I really I really hate to draw attention to something like that. But when you see something like that, everyone in there is interacted in the same way as they're all involved in social media, in acting, in presentation and essentially anything along those lines. But in this case, you have something like your mother who's just like, what, what, did, what are they talking about? I, what do you mean of this big political figure? Like, I'm just literally in this house here with my then boyfriend. Right. Because it was they weren't married. Yeah, yet. yeah. At the time, uh, my, my dad, my mom were dating. Yeah. Like the average person is going to have no idea. No. And my dad stuck around with my grandpa for all of his events that he went to for almost all of the events that my grandfather went to, my dad went to. So my dad knows all these people, all these political figures. He got to meet everyone, do everything just right beside my grandfather. Cause my grandfather just took him along with everything. Um, but I, I think another funny story is, uh, you know, it, 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 there's, you can't look at party lines whenever you look at military or metal honor. There, there are some things that are, above party lines. And I think that my grandfather liked to stand above those party lines and look at everyone as an individual instead of looking at good as a party. But my grandfather was really good friends with the former governor Ann Richards. And so he would often come to, to Austin, to the state capitol, to the governor's mansion, hang out with Ann Richards. And my Annie Bet at the time, she was here in UT and my dad came to visit and he didn't know anything about it. But my grandpa, he drove say it was a, a, an El Camino. He, he drove like this, this really nice El Camino and they just so happened to drive by the governor's mansion and they saw my grandpa's vehicle there. And my dad's like, what in the world are you doing here? We didn't even know that you were going to be in Austin. Like, why are you here? And he's like, Oh, I came to visit Ann Richards and my, my good friend Ann Richards. And then later on they did an event and my dad and my mom were there uh, at the time. I think that they were still dating, but they were both there. And my grandfather turned to Ann Richards, who was an avid smoker. Uh, for, for a lot of people who don't know, she, she was an avid smoker. My grandpa turned and looked at her and he goes, man, you really stink. And she just busted out laughing like that was that was their humor that was their friendship he just looked at her and said, man you really and to tell the governor of texas man you stink in front of all these people in front of an event and in front of my, my my family like it's just something that you don't do you you typically treat these individuals these politicians with like the highest regard of respect but my grandfather and her they just had a different friendship and that's just how they they interacted with each other 
I think that that's wonderful. I think that that's actually wonderful. And I wish more people did that. Not in like a um, necessarily condescending shitty way as people are inclined to do for their feeling towards politicians, but also not in the same kind of reverent regard for someone to where it, it immunizes them from any kind of criticism or harm. Just being able to treat a person as a person and go, what the hell are you doing? You stink. It's kind of, that's, that's hilarious. That's great. That's, that's exactly how people should be treated. Well, I'm not saying this is, hold on, hold on. I realize that that says, I'm not saying that someone should go and up to people and say like, Oh, Hey, you stink. But it's like, especially with the relationship with someone, you should be able to be blunt with them. That's all that I'm trying to say. I'm now fumbling for words myself. Cause I realize that could be construed in many different ways. No. Yeah. No, I understand. I understand. Um, there, there were a lot of firsts whenever it came to, to my grandfather and everything that he did, um, getting, getting into the story and his background. What, uh, what do you know? What, what, what can we share? Uh, what questions do you have regarding his story and anything like that that I might be able to give a little bit more detail about? Well, a lot of the detail has been answered already, at least from the stuff that I want to know, the stuff regarding the actual personal relations of what came after, because everyone kind of knows his story, the origin, like it's been covered extensively from, you know, the time of his parents dying, uh, going to live with his uncle, becoming a sharecropper, doing whatever it is that he could, that that something is it's talked about a lot for how he then went into the army and everything that he did once he was in. But mm-hmm. Not nearly as many people pay attention to what came after. So I think that's kind of what I want to focus a bit more on, because for anyone who is listening to this right now, if you haven't listened to the previous episode that's going up tomorrow, because today is July 21st. That's when we're doing this now. This episode for the uh, for the interview is going to go up on Monday, but the actual Roy Benavidez episode is going up tomorrow on the 22nd. If you haven't listened to that, I literally don't know why the hell you're listening to this right now. Go go the hell back and listen to that so you know what I'm talking about so I don't have to repeat myself. But to sum it up from the amazing military accomplishments, from literally having his legs practically blown off and becoming paralyzed to climbing himself back into not just join like rejoin with the military, but become a Green Beret to become like this amazing of a soldier as he did from his rescue operation. Everyone knows that through extensive detail, but they don't give nearly as much attention to the voice that he tried to give to veterans specifically after the conflict, because what came after and the common criticism and what really gives the military a bad taste to people nowadays is that all the support goes to the military while you're in the military, but not nearly as much support goes to people after the military. And this really began with Vietnam because of just how horrendous the fighting was. You have to think this is a time in which basically everything is boogie trapped. So it's not, it's not necessarily meant to take your life, but specifically to incapacitate you and reduce you to a position where you are going to be a dependent for the rest of your life. And medical technology at that time was good, but also not at the point of today where they would be able to save and do more, which in turn created an entire class of veterans with severe PTSD and health issues from the actual regular weapons that were used, as well as the chemical weapons, like in the case of Napalm or Agent Orange. Hmm. Well, do you, do you happen to know the story about how he received the, the, the Medal of Honor? Um, that in itself, it, it to me, to this yeah. day, it's 
blows me away about all the the hoops and the the bounds that he had to jump through to to actually receive the medal and and coming across Connor O'Brien one more time uh, just randomly um, is that story shared with? I know some, but. For to explain for anyone who is listening, the gist of it is that in order for someone to earn the Medal of Honor, there have to be eyewitnesses, proven eyewitnesses who can testify to the validity of the actions that took place. Otherwise, the highest honor that one can earn is the Distinguished Service Cross. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is that in his case, for years, Roy only had the Distinguished Service he did not have the Medal of Honor until like what was the, what was the year? It was eighty seven? Was that when it was? Eighty uh, two? It was in the eighties. Uh, I'm pretty sure is when it was. He was presented the medal. Yes. Uh, it was eighty one, February twenty fourth. Eighty one. So you were describing hoops. I only know the story of how it wasn't until it could be verified that that is when he got it. And at this point, we're talking almost twenty years later. So. Why don't you go ahead and recount that? I think that is a big question because I did not know that there was something even further than just the firsthand account that needed to be told. Everybody shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? Well, of course, you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. The show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. They've done weird things. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. Yeah, so May 2nd, 1968 was the day that he served his six hours in hell whenever he did his courageous actions that ultimately got him the the Medal of Honor, where he was able to receive the Medal of Honor. February 24th, 1981 is whenever he actually received the Medal of Honor. Now, that's that's a 19-year span. There's a lot that can happen. My grandfather saved eight people that day, one of which happened to be an individual by the name of Brian O'Connor. Brian O'Connor and my grandfather were actually in the same hospital after they were rescued from Loch Ninn from the events of May 2nd, and they saw each other. Uh, and they couldn't talk to each other because both their mouths were wired shut because of all the extensive wounds that they had. So they wiggled their toes to communicate with each other as to like wave to each other that they're there. And one night, my grandfather went to sleep and he woke up the next day and O'Connor's bed was empty and he thought that he had died. And he he didn't ask anything of it because he didn't want to know the answer. He just he thought that Brian O'Connor had died. Well, lo and behold, Brian O'Connor was actually sent to Japan to a different hospital where he went through two years of extensive surgeries to repair his body. Uh, and then he came back stateside. And after he got back, he decided to move to Fiji, where he became a I believe he became a pottery maker for for a time being, something that he wanted to do. Wow. He was a OK. Fiji. 
And then my grandfather went back to small town El Campo, Texas, where he just so happened to be giving a, a speech at the uh, a Rotary Club uh, event in El Campo. And the editor, chief editor of the El Campo Leader News at the time, his name was Fred Barbie, heard my grandfather's story. And he's like, you know what? We, we got to do more about this. We, we got to, you know, get the story out there. So he wrote an editorial on the El Campo Leader News, plastered it all all over the newspaper and sent it out. And then the Victoria Advocate, which is a bigger city here in El Camp, uh, here in Texas, it's not the biggest, but it's it's a big city nearby, uh, picked it up and then ran it in their newspaper. And then it was ran in, in a bigger newspaper and then ran in a bigger newspaper. And then eventually it went international. My grandfather's story. I have to interrupt. I apologize. I'm so sorry yeah. for this. I just have to interject, especially since it's a person I'm saying this as a person who does social media going viral was so, so much slower than what it is now. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> but it was, yeah, it, back in the day, that's all that they had. There was no Twitter. There was no TikTok. They, they just had the newspaper. But but yeah, it was it was picked up by the by an international newspaper and the story just so happened to find its way into Fiji and Connor O'Brien just so happened to to be sitting in a coffee shop and he picked up that newspaper and his jaw dropped. He didn't realize that my grandfather was still alive. They both thought that each other were dead. Wow. So here, here we are. Yeah. Um here we are back in Texas, back in El Campo, my grandfather sitting in his living room watching TV and my dad answers the phone. Um, I think that my dad's around the age of like 10 or 11 at this point in time, uh, maybe a little bit younger. Um, but he answers the phone and he's like, dad, it's for you. And my grandfather picks up the phone. He just started crying whenever he heard the name and voice. And he, he didn't know that Brian O'Connor was still alive. And Brian O'Connor said, you know what? I'm going to write to the board and damn be hell, you're going to get the Medal of Honor. And so it goes. He wrote a, a five page essay to the board and he said, if you have any questions, feel free to give me a call. He came back stateside. He uh, he went and talked with with the board committee and then they decided, you know what, you're going to be able to get the Medal of Honor. But then it wasn't that easy because it was past Nothing the century. Of course. It was it was past the statute of limitations to receive the Medal of Honor. So they had to write Congress in order to see if they can get something ratified, a, a bill passed in order for my grandfather to receive the Medal of Honor. Um, so I believe I believe it was a, um, a congressman here in Texas, um, uh, Joe Wyatt and, and a military individual. I, I can't remember his name, but they they testified in front of the uh, in front of a House committee military meeting. Um, on behalf of this. And eventually it was approved. And at the time, the president had written it up and said, you know what, we're, we're going to do this. And the, the president before uh, uh, President Ronald Reagan wasn't able to to present the Medal of Honor to my grandfather. But whenever Reagan uh, came into office, he, he made it a priority. Uh, and then he said, OK, we're going to do this. And President Reagan was the president that uh, honored my grandfather and gave him the, the Medal of Honor. And actually, it's the only Medal of Honor to be done in the courtyard of the Pentagon, which if people don't know, the courtyard of the Pentagon is the largest area where you do not have to salute anyone of higher ranking. So even if the president's walking through the courtyard, you don't have to salute the president. You don't have to salute the, the higher commanding officers. But that's where the, the Medal of Honor was given to my grandfather. 
That is actually awesome. No, that that's an amazing good story. See, that's the exact reason why I would want to do this, because the details that go into it in terms of the relation are so much more than anything that someone would just read in a simple article or something on the Internet. It's it's a lot more than that, especially coming from someone who, in this case, didn't necessarily experience it personally, but who the story has been specifically passed down to because it's part of your family's legacy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's it's funny because actually, if if you go back and if you you listen to the recordings of the citations of the Medal of Honor being presented to my grandfather, if you go back and you watch the video, there's there's a a sidestep that you can faintly see, but my grandfather actually stepped on the shoe of President Reagan whenever he gave him the Medal of Honor, which is a, a little funny because you know, oh no, I accidentally stepped on the president's shoe. Uh, it's 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 pretty humorous. <laughs> But uh, also with that, the citations for all of the Medal of Honors are typically read by a cabinet member or the aides or someone else besides the president. But President Reagan decided to read my grandfather's citation himself to the audience and to everyone there, uh, which is in itself, I think, is is a high regard in, in its own standard. Absolutely. But yeah. And uh, I mean, there's that. And then back to to the veterans. After that, my grandfather actually testified to Congress on behalf of veterans. I don't know if you if you know about that story. Yeah. How he specifically pushed for the extension of their benefits. Correct. Correct. I think his direct statement is the the country that gave me this medal wants to take away my benefits or something along those lines. And so he testified in front of Congress and they said, you know what, we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to keep the, the benefits instated for all military veterans. and." So there, my grandfather was was one of the sole proprietors for helping out with that. And that is impressive because at that point, now he had significantly more. I'm going to use the term political acumen because it sounds like not only did he now have power, but he knew exactly how to use it, but not necessarily abuse it. Correct. Yeah. So Which, my, that's respectable. Yeah. My grandfather never used any any sort of power and any ill will. He what he liked to do, which is something that's done more now, um, is he he liked to travel and he he traveled across the United States, going to different events, talking to the youth about you know staying educated, staying in school. Uh, his his common phrase is, "I was a fool and I dropped out of school," and that's, that's what he told kids in his speeches. But he ultimately went back to get his. To get his degree and he went back to school and he he stressed enough that education was very important to, to everyone. And so that's what he spent most of his life after the military doing. If you look back at the Medal of Honor then versus now, you have more Medal of Honor recipients who, who are doing things like that. I don't know if, if it's appropriate to say if, if my grandfather was a trailblazer to, to set that into precedence for Medal of Honor recipients. President Reagan told my grandfather after after he had gave him the Medal of Honor, after the event, he, he told him in private, you now have the duty to speak to the youth and, and to tell them of everything that you've done and what they can do for this country as well. And so my grandfather took that to heart and spent his time doing that as well. That is actually amazing. And yeah, I, I think that that is something that it is more common now. I think that really beginning in the 80s, going into the 90s, especially so when you had the Gulf War and then with everything that has occurred in the Middle East, there is a lot more 
attention that is given to specifically actions of individuals that are in the military for what they're doing, not only while in the military, but outside of it as well, because everything in the modern day and age is interconnected. It doesn't matter that you just did one thing in one specific area because someone's going to be scrutinizing you in something else. And for what he did, he didn't just see it as his job from the military, from the sound of it. It was his duty to the country, not just with arms, but specifically for its people. Correct. Correct. Yeah. And I mean, even even if you look at it today, um, there are still individuals that don't regard the military or veterans and in high regards. And I it's, you know, without trying to get political, I, I think that there's there's a lot to do with with duty to your country and, and believing in your country. You don't have to believe in everything that is right or wrong, but having that love for your country and having that that duty and that sacrifice and that resolve to do so. My grandfather grew up in in small town Ocampo, where at the time everything was segregated. He grew up back in the 40s where, you know, there was a different precedence for Hispanics and, and for Caucasians and for African-Americans. But he still saw this as his opportunity. His his grandfather actually told him, he goes, you know, Benavides might be a, a Mexican name, but you're an American. And that's something that was told to my grandfather at, at a young age. And he took that to heart and he just took that at, at pace and ran with it. I am an American. And that's something that I like to say now whenever people talk to me. It's like, well, yeah, I'm an American through and through before anything else. I think that I am an American and I'm proud of it. I'm proud to be an American citizen, just like my grandfather was proud to serve his country and and to dedicate his life to the military. That is wonderful. That is wonderful. And that is respectable because there are, as we said, to not get political for anything, there are a number of people from both sides of the aisle that have a tendency to either use or disregard service depending on how you want to view it mm-hmm. for their own political ends. Correct. But the reality is for many people that have started from the bottom is they did it for one of two reasons, one out of love for their country or two, because it gave them the opportunity to better themselves specifically for a job for education, etc. So, at that point, it really depends upon the individual and their actions and what they do and what they believe. But in the end, it's just one entity among many that comprise the nation. Mm-hmm. And my grandfather, he he would talk circles around people. He didn't care who it was or what it was. And even if someone had a different viewpoint than him, he he would talk with them. And he he had this this insatiable personality that my aunts and my dad would always tell me about where he would just listen to you and you would be the only person there and you would be able to talk to him as a person. He, he wasn't this high and mighty figure of a a medal of honor recipient who was just untouchable. He was, he was a person and he listened to you no matter what it was, he would listen to you. And he would often go for walks at a park in, in El Campo. And if anyone just walked up to him and they started walking with him, he would just talk with them and just have a casual conversation with that individual. It didn't matter where they were coming from, what their background was, what may have it. He he had that conversation with those people and he he dedicated himself to that. And I, I think that it really shows what kind of individual he was to be able to do that. And that is awesome. I think that that is a good place to kind of wrap things up here. Yeah, okay. it's 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 a rather I, 
the only thing that I can think of here is the end is just how much more impressive and harder to get the Medal of Honor is now in comparison to where it started from. Are you familiar with the origin of the Medal of Honor, like why it was actually created in the first place? The Medal of Honor was created after the Civil War. Uh, I don't know. During the Civil War. Don't know exactly why it was created. The original Medal of Honor was specifically created as a mark of honor to encourage volunteers to not desert the military when their volunteer time was up. So before we had the standard professional military, even going into the Civil War, there Mm -hmm. was the army, but the majority of forces were still called up militia forces, right? Correct. So when conflict broke out right before the initial battle of bull run, the, I believe it was three months that the troops were called up for was literally about to end within the week. And so a bunch of them did not want to fight because they're like, why the hell would I go down to battle when my time is going to be up in a week? I could die. I don't want to do that. (laughs) So what happened is Lincoln and Congress, they created the Medal of Honor specifically to be offered to any soldier who stayed on after his time was up. And so those soldiers that stayed, I think it was approximately half of them. I think out of 600 or so, it was like 300 people got the Medal of Honor. Well, I also believe that the Civil War is the the war that was uh, most Medal of Honors were given out. So that, that makes a Correct. lot of sense. Because <laughs> it, it took a long time for it to earn the kind of hallowed reputation that it has. Hell, the first individual to earn the Medal of Honor did so by stealing a train. I, yeah, I remember that. I remember that story. Uh, whenever I visited with the Medal of Honor Society and the Medal of Honor Museum, we, we discussed that and, and those events. But yeah, it's it's crazy. And even looking at it now, there are only about roughly a little more than 3,000 individuals who have received the Medal of Honor, given that the military is so vast and so big and how many people have joined the military and who have served our country and those, those who have... Uh, you know, paid the ultimate sacrifice for for our country, only 3000 individuals. And currently, I think that we only have, well, Woody Williams just passed away. uh, And we just had four new Medal of Honor recipients, three of which were living. I think that our total is in in the mid 60s, I want to say 66, 67, somewhere around there, living Medal of Honor recipients. And that is crazy. But I think that that is going to be the end of things here today. Thank you to everyone who has listened. And I'm going to say, Mr. Benavides, thank you so much for meeting me here today. Thank you so much for having this conversation. That was it was nice. It was the first time that I've ever actually done something as a proper interview. And I hope that you had a good experience as well. And thank you for listening to the podcast. Thank you for following me here as well. Of course. Thank you for having me on. And thank you for, for sharing the story. And to, to everyone who's listening, I hope that you enjoyed my grandfather's story. No, sir. Thank you for coming on here to share the story in the first place. There's only so many things that I'm capable of telling. And even then, I'm going to mess things up because I'm a human that screws up and has errors. That's just a natural thing. But to be able to hear something in a much more direct way from a person who is the closest to experiencing it. Now, that's nice. And I love being able to learn new things. So thank you. Thank you. Goodbye, everyone. And I'll see you next time.